Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Well, it finally happened. After months of rancor over COVID policies, school renamings, and what critics called performative politics, three members of the San Francisco School Board were recalled last night in a landslide. Will the San Francisco schools actually be any different? What happens next? We'll be joined by KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati and KQED education reporter Vanessa Roncano to sort through the wreckage. And then we'll continue our series on the forced removal of Japanese Americans from California cities during World War II. That's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As you've been hearing this morning, three members of the San Francisco School Board were all recalled with more than 70 percent of voters opting to boot them. Allison Collins, who'd headlined many of the stories about the three school board members, saw nearly 80 percent of voters mark the circle for her ouster. Here to get us caught up on what happened last night, what it means for the school district, and what it says and does not say about San Francisco politics, we're joined by KQED's politics reporter, Guy Marzarati. Welcome, Guy. Good morning. As well as KQED's education reporter, Vanessa Rancano. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. Guy, let's start with you. Just give us a quick rundown, sort of what happened during this recall election and what did the results uh, look like? Well, the results at this point uh, are pretty wide. It's, I think you could say, a landslide uh, recall election. Um, all board members' recalls are roughly around 75-ish, yes, uh, support. Um, and look, I mean, we can talk about the the campaign itself. There's issues with this uh, board and, and controversies that go back well before these three members. If you're talking about Lowell's admissions process, if you're talking about the budget, those are things that precede any of these three uh, commissioners. And then there's issues that happened over the course of the last couple of years, whether it's, you know, the, uh, you know, not reopening schools uh, last school year uh, in many cases or the renaming process of schools that happened during that time that are more specific uh, to these three members yeah. that I think, you know, kind of all added up uh, in this election. So we know what percentage of voters uh, marked Yes, on the recall. But how was the turnout? The turnout right now is about 26 percent citywide, which is low. I mean, it's it's kind of in line with what we'd see for special elections. Um, you know, there have been even since the state started sending every voter 
uh, a ballot in the mail by default. We've had special elections in the East Bay in L.A., generally trended around the 20-ish percent. This will get obviously above 25 percent, but it's low. And especially when you compare it to an election like 2018, when these three commissioners were elected uh, to the board, they all got around 15 you know, percent of the vote when they were elected to the school board, but they were running in a huge field. I think it was 19 candidates maybe. Mm. Um, so you know, certainly there was a lot more people who weighed in on the school board election when these three commissioners got into office than weighed in last night. Yeah. Were there any interesting variations in neighborhood turnout or things that we could say about, oh, okay, this part of the city seemed to really go for or against this recall? Well, I think it was interesting that it seemed like the recall drove turnout in in this uh, election, even though there was also a state assembly race on the ballot. Some of the neighborhoods with the highest level of turnout, whether that's west of Twin Peaks, Seacliff, I think, were the top two percentage-wise. Neither of those had an assembly election on the ballot. So those voters weren't getting all the mailers, the door knocking, the, the kind of get-out-the-vote work from assembly candidates, yet still turned out at a higher rate. I think, to me, says that the school board election really was the marquee event uh, on the ballot that largely drove turnout. Do we know anything about who voted? I mean, in these local elections, it really seems hard sometimes to get some facts to build analysis around. Right. I mean, we have, like you said, you know, turnout percentages in various neighborhoods. Uh, The spreads aren't incredibly wide neighborhood to neighborhood in terms of of who voted. And there still are ballots to count. You know, anyone who, you know, returned their ballot in the mail yesterday or put their ballot uh, in a ballot box yesterday, those votes totals haven't been released yet. Um, so we don't really have a sense. I mean, we know from petition gathering that the largest support, uh, you know, percentage wise for the petitions came from the West Side. I think that's in line with, you know, the the large Chinese American community there. Generally, more conservative voters on the West Side. I'm saying conservative in SF terms. Right. Yeah. Got to grade it on the SF yeah. scale. That's a good point. Uh, um, yeah. So, you know, but I but I think, you know, that's and that's kind of in line with with some of the trends we saw and uh, in, in turnout. Yeah. Vanessa, what happens now for the school district? Well, these three will officially leave office and be replaced by mayoral appointments 10 days after the Board of Supervisors accepts the election results. So I I believe that is expected to happen March 1st at the earliest. So the expectation is that we would have new board members in place um, around mid-March. So we're going to be looking for Mayor Breed um, to appoint replacements um, in these coming weeks. They would finish out these commissioners' terms, which end in early January of next year. Um, But to stay in office, um, they would have to run again in November in the upcoming election. And I mean, some of the big issues pending for this district are the hiring of a new superintendent, right? That person Mm -hmm. will need to be in place by July 1st. And as you know, this district is dealing with ongoing budget issues. So they'll be working on a, a budget for next year and continuing to to deal with these um, shortfalls. Yeah. Guy, I feel like this is a political issue. So I'm going to toss this one to you. I mean, London Breed gets to nominate these three school board members, like Vanessa said. Has she signaled what she wants from these people or who even who might be on the docket? 
No, she hasn't publicly, and, and the mayor's actually expected to make comments on this uh, around 10 o'clock today, this morning, um, not to necessarily name replacements, but to maybe shed some light on how she's approaching the process. I certainly think parent groups are already in her ear, you know, sending lists, sending, you know, ideas. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation from what I've heard around Ann Shu as being a possible uh, replacement for one of these board members. She's a, a parent leader at Galileo High School. She is kind of at the intersection of both school politics and school policy. She led a lot of the voter registration for Chinese American voters leading up to this election. But she also has experience, you know, on committees uh, that deal with, you know, bonds uh, for the district. To Vanessa's point, like whoever takes these seats is really going to have to hit the ground running, right? Like the budget is something that has to happen this year. The superintendent search is ongoing. Um, so I think one thing I've heard from whether it's parent parents who supported this recall, whether it's the union that opposed this recall, they all want people who, you know, maybe have some backgrounds in the, the district, in the issues that it's facing, um, because there is kind of a learning curve and the work is coming up real quick. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've seen national pundits say already about this vote um, is that it's an expression of anger about San Francisco's COVID restrictions. Did that match up with what you're hearing locally? And I'll have you both answer this one. Let's start with you, Vanessa. I mean, I think it depends who you ask, but certainly the way that the board handled the fallout of COVID is one of the central themes here. I mean, there were many, many parents who were extremely frustrated that schools remained closed for in-person learning as long as they did. They wanted to see, they wanted at least the option to send their kids back. They were kind of like, well, if you want, if some kids want to stay in distance learning, great, but give us the option to send kids back. And they felt like they're, the board wasn't even really receptive to to hearing their their pain. You know, the flip side, of course, is that many parents didn't feel ready to go back, um, and the the board was trying to juggle that. But it, no doubt, that's one of the major themes. Yeah, guy, what what about you? What do you think uh, from what you were hearing politically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's we have to be careful, I guess, not to take the the wrong lesson from this. This clearly has gotten national attention. Um, I don't necessarily think that this is, you know, there's some people saying, well, if if 75% of voters NSF uh, support the school board recall, well, then all the elected Democrats in the city better watch out. I mean, I don't know about that. I think like, I think the SF is still a super liberal city. I'm not sure this is, you know, Nancy Pelosi should be worried about the school board uh, results for her own reelection. But like school board issues in general are a huge issue nationally, whether it's, you know, pick a state. There's there's things happening all over the country. So I do think that in part feeds into this national issue that Republicans are certainly looking towards as like a midterm issue of, oh, let's, you know, group in frustration parents may feel about schools with other, you know, economic anxieties, inflation as a way to maybe retake Congress. Yeah. We're talking about yesterday's recall election. San Francisco voters ousted three members of the school board. We're joined by Guy Marzarati, KQED politics reporter and KQED education reporter Vanessa Roncaño. We, of course, want to hear from you on this one. What's your reaction to this school board recall? If you changed your mind, what tipped your vote? And also, what do you think the national news has gotten wrong or right on this story? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You know the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. They're KQED Forum. You can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. 
You know, locally, Guy, it seemed like the renaming of the high schools, a renaming of schools in general, was just kind of the, the tipping point issue that made this into something that went from people are mad at the school board to people are recalling the school board. Yeah, I would say the renaming in combination with the fact that the schools weren't open at the time, because it wasn't this board that started the renaming process. That was actually, I believe, 2018, different board members voting to support moving the process forward at that time. So it's not as if these, you know, three board members or these current members of the board just invented that idea, you know, last year and went with it. I think for a lot of people, the frustration, you know, in part, the process of doing it, there was a lot of you know, a historical approach uh, taken, but the fact that it was taking place while there there was also frustration about schools not having in-person learning. Um, so I don't necessarily think it, it was just, you know, kind of like Vanessa said, just one thing in, in isolation. It's kind of combining these issues together, I think, definitely brought, uh, you know, yeah. frustration. Vanessa, do you think this kind of recall is going to spread to other school districts in the Bay Area? Oh, I, you know, that might be one for Guy. I think there's certainly a concern among some of the people who are against this recall that that could be the case, right? That the lesson that people will learn it is that special interests, moneyed folks can buy the, you know, can use recalls as a tool to exert outsized influence, Um so whether that'll happen or not, I don't know, Guy. Well, I'll, I'll, this this is fascinating to me that in Cupertino right now, there's a, a effort to recall three school board members and it's gathering signatures. And if you look at the petition that supporters are putting forward, it's both about not reopening schools uh, during the pandemic, but also permanently closing some schools, what we're seeing happening in Oakland right now. So I do think the budget issues we're seeing at SF down the line, that's just another concern for you know future board members to worry about. Yeah. We're talking about yesterday's recall election. You're hearing from Guy Marzarati, KQD's politics reporter, and KQD education reporter Vanessa Roncaño. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about yesterday's recall election with KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati and KQED education reporter Vanessa Roncaño. And it's time to get to some calls. Amanda from San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, You asked what the national message should be from this recall. And I just want to say as a parent, I felt truly invisible um, throughout the pandemic and with all the school closures. And I really hope that with uh, with this recall, politicians across the country really see that children need to be centered in all of the decisions as we move forward through this pandemic. We're always an afterthought. It's always kids last um, in every public health decision. And I, I really hope that this is a turning point, that everybody sees that even in the bluest of blue of San Francisco, 
parents are standing up and saying that kids are the most important thing in our community and we need to put them first. Thank you for that perspective, Amanda. I'm going to go uh, right to Carlos in San Francisco. Welcome, Carlos. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm a parent, and my kid is in the school district. And I'll tell you, it's like so frustrating. Um, of course, you know, you know, we had this pandemic to deal with, but I just really feel like it's an unreasonable ask and expectation that the school board was going to be able to. Um, quell like all these problems that we're having with the pandemic. I mean, you know, if you remember, like a lot of teachers were really having a hard time imagining that they would go back to school um, because there were, you know, there were, we didn't have the vaccines in place and um, the infrastructure to, you know, get everybody vaccinated. I mean, a lot of teachers remember they're, I mean, they're not making, um, they may not be making enough salaries to pay for, big spacious apartments here in San Francisco, they might be crammed in. And you just can't imagine that, you know, every teacher and every person that works in the schools would have been able to fulfill those, their positions safely. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I mean, I wasn't surprised that it was going to take that long. Frustrated, you know, like everybody, but just not surprised. I just think it's a big ask, and I think it's unreasonable to imagine that the school board was going to solve all those problems. There was just, it was just unsurmountable. It was just a big, big problem in a pretty dense city. Hey, Carlos, I'm, I'm curious, you know, among people you know, do you feel like most people felt like you did, or were there a lot of yes on recall supporters? Um, I don't think there was, I don't think I really was involved in too much discussion, um, with folks on the recall issue. You know, I just thought it, um, generally, yeah, I think parents were just generally really frustrated and, you know, they wanted to give a spanking to somebody and there's, and the supervisors were all lined up for it. Yeah. Hey, thank you for that, uh, perspective, Carlos. Uh, you know, Guy, uh, actually, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you about a comment that we got in. A listener wrote in to say, I read that Gabriela Lopez, who's one of the recalled school board members, plans to run again for the school board. What message did this woman not get? She want, She's not wanted in our school district. She needs to go. She showed incompetence and insensitivity. Yeah, um, she told me last night that she plans to run again. Her feeling is that this recall is really not reflective of San Francisco, right? The turnout was very low and much lower than when she was elected in the past. So she said so long as she still has support, which she felt she did have um, throughout this process um, from teachers and and parents who were backing this no recall campaign, she would consider doing it. I will say she did just get accepted uh, into a edu- education PhD program at Stanford. So she plans to start um, uh-huh. that. Wow. And she That's... left open the possibility that she would not run. You know, I mean, she was mm-hmm. honest about the fact that this work is very abusive is the word that she used with me. Um, and she said not set up for working people. Right. It does not pay hardly at all. And because they take, in her view, so much mistreatment, she worries that that would really discourage a lot of qualified people who could be quite good at this from running. Mm -hmm. And 
she worries that into that vacuum will step folks who maybe just have political ambitions, right? They're just using it as a stepping stone to get to the board of supervisors. And, um, you know, she doesn't want to see that, she said. And we actually, I think, have a cut, uh, some of your tape from last night. I think it's cut number two on our cut sheet. Let's listen in. People have a lot of issue with what we what came up during our terms. That was driven by a group of communities who have been left out, who feel like their voices weren't heard, and who finally had a majority people of color school board to take it on. And the issues that we worked through, they were decades long. So the reason why I stand by what I stand by is because that's who I was representing, and I, I can't feel bad about what I value. Um, and if that needs to continue, and if I can be the voice for that, folks want this to, to keep moving forward, I will, that's what I've been chosen to do. Yeah. You know, she's referring there to what she saw as the sort of anti-racism work that the school board was doing, including the renaming of, of some schools, or a large number of schools in the district. And, you know, in, in Scott Schaefer's story for NPR, our colleague Scott Schaefer's story, um, he quoted a political scientist named Jason McDaniel. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I thought I'd toss this one uh, to whoever, whichever of you wants to take it, which is he said, uh, McDaniel said, it's also, I think, does reflect some of the tensions within San Francisco liberalism and what it means to be liberal in San Francisco, agreed upon values, values of equality, especially racial equality, but also some tensions over how to manifest those values. Um, Maybe, Guy, this it would work for you to to take this one. You know, this split between kind of different kinds of liberals within such a, a left-leaning place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good insight. I think also, you know, largely, look, in San Francisco, it is largely splits between Democrats. Um, I actually have to say I was surprised that there wasn't more of that split around this recall, right? I think, you know, especially when Mayor London Breed came out so supportive for removing these three officials. I would anticipate, you know, the people who don't usually agree with the mayor, maybe seeing that as a signal to line up on the other side and then having this elections kind of a split more along the like 55, 45 pattern that we might usually see um, rather than like a, you know, three to one uh, Mm -hmm. split. You know, I thought something like that, you know, maybe would have more people say, okay, well, look, if, if, the mayor is, you know, in charge of picking these replacements. Well, then I'm on the other side. Yeah. Alexis, I mean, I guess the only thing I would point out is that everybody I talked to who was supportive of the recall was very cautious about saying that they do support diversifying Lowell, that they do support, you know, some sort of process for renaming schools, but they chose to focus on process, right? That was sort of the acceptable way that they found to take issue with what had happened. So it was like, okay, we should rename schools, but not this way. They're doing it the wrong way. We should do it differently. Like, okay, let's let's change things at Lowell, but not the way it happened. And then, of course, lots of opponents want to point out, well, you know, that's been that's been the story forever. Like, we wouldn't have any progress in this country if people always could point to, you know, could nitpick or point to process um, to shut things down. I'll also just throw this in as like a hypothetical. But, you know, I do think really late in the campaign, we heard Allison Collins, you know, she returned to Twitter and, and talked really openly about like, we 
delivered on the promises we ran on. And the biggest example of that is moving forward a change of the admissions process at Lowell, delivering these gains for Black and Latino students, increasing their enrollment. And I do wonder, I'm not sure would this have made a difference or not, but running proactively on here's what we promised to do and here's what we delivered on. I think for a long time, the messaging from the no side was, well, you know, this is a Republican recall or look at, you know, the donors who's funding this instead of here's a proactive reason why we're doing a good job uh, in this position. Again, hypothetical, but it's that's not a messaging path that was really chosen. That's really that's very interesting. Let's bring in Marla from San Francisco. Hi, this is Marla calling from San Francisco. I'm actually a teacher in the district and. Um, the main thing that convinced me to vote no on the recall was the fact that London Breed would be appointing the replacements. Um, given her stance towards the school district, um, I feel like she's gotten really in the way of the school district being able to do its job, mainly with the lawsuit that she filed against the district that's diverted resources away from the classroom and made it harder for us to do our jobs. So I did not feel that I was able to trust her in name and replacements for the board. What? Alexis, and we, yeah. we, we might point out that she did appoint two of these board members, right, who recall supporters say they would they would have recalled everybody if they could. Um, oh, and two of these folks were already appointed by her. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, uh, Marla. Always nice to have a, a teacher's uh, perspective. Let's bring in uh, Helen from San Francisco. Welcome, Helen. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I, my name is Helen. I'm a parent in San Francisco, and I wanted to share two points. Um, one, that I, I don't believe that this is any you know, indication of a larger uh, Republican or national um, polit- political issue or, or trend. Um, it really is local. It is really about our, our children and um, how the board has failed our families and our children. Um, and that is specifically that during COVID, um, their priorities were completely misplaced. Um, and um, as a parent and highly involved in parent groups in my schools, uh, my children's schools, um, I saw firsthand how obstructions they were to um, allowing us to help or do anything to um, support and, and save our children who, sorry, I'm walking at the same time, uh, no, no, who okay. um, um, really suffered a lot of mental health issues due to the isolation created by COVID, and they did not give us any options or supports otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece I wanted to point out is that um, I think you make a really good point looking at the total number of voters in this turnout as compared to other um, special elections as opposed to the whole. The other data point I would as, uh, ask you to consider is um, the number of students in the school district. We have about 57,000 students in the San Francisco School District normally. Um, after this fiasco of the last couple of years, we're down to 50,000. When you compare those numbers to the 130-ish thousand um, voters that, that did turn out, I think that's a really interesting number. Uh, thank you very much for taking time. Thank you, Helen, for that perspective. also really appreciate everybody staying with this kind of discussion that we're having here as we're going to, you know, going through these these different arguments. Um, let's welcome in Chris from San Francisco. Welcome, Chris. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for talking about this. Um, I just want to re- reiterate how much of this recall effort was driven by uh, the admissions policy changing for Lowell and how it's concerning that, you know, especially, I mean, I think what's being ignored is these lobbying groups that cropped up by small groups of parents that were really focused on 
you know, ignoring the, the racism at Lowell and the anti-blackness that has existed at Lowell and ignoring that. And, you know, where were these parents who have been so outspoken about this? Where were they and where are they now looking at the disparity among all the schools in San Francisco? Why are they focusing on this instead of, you know, issues that have been long part of San Francisco that, that aren't addressed? And focusing on this, this, this goes back to, you know, more privileged parents taking over public schools and ignoring families who are more in need that aren't addressed by San Francisco. Yeah. Do you, Vanessa, are the kinds of anti-recall calls that we're getting, does that mirror what you heard um, from, from parents who were opposed to the recall kind of more, more broadly? Yes. I mean, that last caller, I would say that was one of the key arguments that, that I heard. Someone last night, a teacher called it a tantrum of the privileged, of the entitled. I'm sorry, a tantrum of the entitled. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of folks were pointing out last night was that graduation rates actually rose quite a bit and rose especially for Black students, for special education students, for foster um, foster youth, for socioeconomically disadvantaged students quite a bit over the last three, four years. And they're now higher than the state average. So there's a lot of frustration that, that a positive you know, positive trend like that would be so obscured by what they really saw as the, the pandemic and something that was largely beyond the control of these board members. Vanessa, I think the counter to that that I heard was that actual sort of performance on tests and other things didn't necessarily go up, but graduation rates did, which people saw as actually not being a good thing, or at least not the, the uh, unalloyed good thing it was presented as. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of concern about how students fared academically during the pandemic. And we, you know, there already is some data on that and we will continue to get more. Uh, Teachers last night, of course, were defending the work that they did during the pandemic and taking issue with even, you know, use of the the word closed, talking about schools being closed because they were arguing we were we were teaching mm. every day and we were teaching kids to learn how to read, to read, mm. etc. Yeah. Let's bring in Jake from San Francisco. Hi. Um, uh, thanks for having me. So I'm uh, I'm actually part of that demographic. I'm a Chinese American. I, I I live on the west side. And what's interesting is, aside from the three to one blowout uh, that we see general citywide. Uh, my kid, uh, who is in SFUSD middle school, among the families that I see, we're all middle class. You know, we can't afford private schools. It's probably five to one or six to one or even seven to one here on the west side in favor of the recall. And I think the reason is largely due to one thing. And the reason why everybody wants to recall is because the political class is not listening to the electorate. And, you know, it, it for a variety of reasons, right? For not going back to school during COVID when private schools opened earlier, uh, for renaming of the uh, schools, you know, misplaced priorities, of the whole low admissions thing, which is a gateway for all of the families that I know who are middle class and cannot afford private school. We felt like that gate was shut closed, right? And so I think what we're seeing is people, families on the West Side, Chinese Americans on the West Side, seven to one, eight to one are angry that the political class is not listening. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Mayor London Breed, you look at the supervisors, you know, you let, nobody got on the recall train until after 
it was apparent that um, uh, uh, Siva Raj and, and Autumn Nguyen-Jen, uh had already built up tons of momentum on on yes. So I, I feel like a lot of what the pundits are saying, um, especially in your program, uh, a bit about, oh, uh, you know, how about this? How about that? How about, you know, uh, uh, you know, we need to make sure that uh, racial disparity is addressed or we still need to make sure to rename schools, you know, uh, but in a different way. Like from the West side, absolutely no. You guys are missing the point. And the point is, instead of falling back on your preconceived notions of what should be right, you need to listen to the electorate because you haven't been doing so. Thanks for that, Jake. Thanks for that call and and perspective. You know, I I wanted to ask you, Guy, you know, certainly um, Lopez and Collins believe that they're representing a constituents. They believe they have a constituency that wants them to do these things. So maybe in our just as a little wrap up, do you think they have a chance in another election because they do have a constituency in the city? That, that wants renamings done and supported the low admissions changes, et cetera? Well, I think that depends in a large extent to the parent groups, the grassroots, uh, you know, that Jake mentioned. It's true. A lot of this started before elected officials jumped on board, before big money donors jumped on board. This thing was starting earlier last year. Um, whether that involvement continues, right? Like the teachers union is a dominant force, usually in local school board politics. Is there now a new counter from parent groups that could that could change that? Or is this election kind of a one off and then we go back to, to politics as usual? Yeah, we've been talking about yesterday's rancorous recall election when San Francisco voters ousted three members of the school board with Guy Marzarati, KQD politics reporter and KQD education reporter Vanessa Roncano. Thanks for joining us, you two. Thanks. We'll stay tuned. We'll be back with more forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.